The Fasarius Chapter House is the world's first headquarters for Christian ministerial innovation, bringing preachers, leaders, and innovators together to collaborate on new liturgies, resources, and responses to the challenge of our times. This podcast explores the ever-changing era of perpetual upheaval in which effective ministry requires constant imagination, creativity, and change. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today on the uh, Chapter House podcast. And I'm joined by two good friends of mine, very good friends of mine, who just met each other about five minutes ago. So here I have my uh, friends Robin Smith and Simone Circe. So why don't you say hey and and tell everybody kind of what you do and where you're from. Hi, everybody. Simone Circe here. Um, I'm a performance artist, but um, right now I am working at Jackson Interfaith Shelter, which is a homeless shelter. Wow. Awesome. I'm Robin Smith. I'm the executive director of Refuge for Women in Las Vegas, and we run a long-term residential program for women who are coming out of the sex industry. Yeah, right on. Well, the the Chapter House podcast really focuses on innovation in Christian ministry, and today I thought we might talk um, about uh, human trafficking and particularly ending human trafficking or responding to human trafficking because that's that's its own kind of missiological innovation. Once upon a time, the church was really focused on evangelism. I mean, the big C church, the historical church, and then of course the the efforts of the church expanded to include food, education, shelter. Uh, but sex trafficking is now a, 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 an even bigger leap, uh, an even bigger and more ambitious. Uh, offering of the church to try and get involved to to rescue women to help women so t- tell me about that tell me why it's important t- tell me what it does and, and why it matters yeah um as far as what we do why it matters is because a lot of people want to do rescue that's like on our hearts all the time what, what is what is rescue like? so rescue is like finding a woman who needs or who is wanting to get out of sex trafficking or out of the industry and they don't have the a way to do that they don't have the resources they don't have the means they don't have a place to go so rescue are the people on the front line who like yeah. help them get out but then the problem is there's nowhere for them to go, them to go. Well, right. well, before you go any further because this i didn't i didn't totally understand this when i originally thought about human trafficking and, and people like yourself on the front lines of of responding to human trafficking i thought that you'd you know put up a sandwich board or something and say if, you, if you're done if you're done being a stripper or a prostitute or whatever c- come talk to us and we'll help you find a job but there's there's a whole lot more to it right I mean, oh so much some kind of entrapment or um like coercion i mean they, they just it's not that they don't want to leave always is that they can't right exactly um women who are involved in the sex industry the trauma runs so deep so deep so it's not just as simple as waking up one day and deciding i don't want to do this anymore and then they can change their life like it's not that easy so that's where like with refuge for women we recognize that it's a long-term process and so we do long term we we don't do rescue we don't do emergency well we're just starting to do emergency shelter but our end game our goal is to get the women into long-term residential care because trauma takes a long time to deal with and yeah. so if they're really, truly going to be restored and get their life back, it's going to be a process. It's not going to happen in two days. And, yeah, right. And, yeah. Because you know, of an altar call or something. Right, yeah. right. Not, not discounting the supernatural power of God, just saying that uh, based on statistics, the supernatural power of God doesn't tend to rescue people immediately. Sometimes, yeah. just not yeah. often. No, yeah. no, so here's, here's a question I have because um, I think maybe... Like many people, I've, I've over the years made a lot of assumptions, most of which turned out to be wrong. So I might screw up the language and screw up the, the approach. But when you say the trauma takes a long time to sort of unprogram or, or, or reprogram, you mean, do, do you mean rather things like um, you get them into a place where they're safe, you get them a job, but because their hurts run so deep, they end up going back to their old habits and patterns, even though they have the support network? Yep, absolutely. So uh, the average woman who's coming out of the sex industry takes seven times, seven attempts before they come out and stay out Hmm. because of that exact thing. The trauma, the draw, the brainwashing, whatever is so strong. So I'll just give you a great example of that. One of our residents, this was about three years ago, it was graduation day. So she'd been in our home for nine months and um, gone through the program, done really, really well. Graduation day, she's standing there in her cap and gown and she started to cry. And I looked at her and I said, "This are those happy tears? Because like yeah, right. this is a joyful day. Like let's be celebrating." And she said, "Yeah, they're happy tears because I'm graduating, but I'm also really sad because today I really miss Asian Mike, and that was the name of her pimp. 
And it's like nine months later, the draw is so strong. Like Mm. it's not that healing, healing happens, but it doesn't happen at the drop of a hat. And is it like, like Stockholm syndrome? I mean, like where, where they're, or they're drawn to people who hurt them or is it like, um, just that they they genuinely love these people. They have a healthy community with Um, them, even though the circumstances are really unhealthy. Certainly not healthy at all. I mean, it actually has a name called the trauma bond. And oh, it is okay. this very unhealthy bond that is formed through a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. So it's somewhat like Stockholm, but I mean, it's it's actually like really hard to even fathom it because right. the person who causes you the most harm is the person that you're the most loyal to. And so, I mean, and, and a lot of it is through whatever form the trafficker used to get them to be reliant on him. That's that's what the bond is formed around. So oh, yeah. I totally get that though. Like I can imagine because there's even times right now where I'm in a good, healthy space and things like that. But every time, every now and then, maybe like in the middle of the night or something like that, I can't sleep and I wonder, oh, if so and so could see me now, or something like that, or mm-hmm. if I was this strong or this wise then would the relationship have been different and so i completely under that's how i can you I mean can like, totally like get other it. people in your past that have hurt you like you go if, oh yeah if, if jerk face bob could see me now then mm-hmm. he wouldn't he wouldn't have hurt me like that yeah i would have been stronger in the relationship maybe the relationship wouldn't have failed it yeah. would have went different it would have went my way I would have been the stronger person in the relationship. Maybe I would have left them instead of them leaving me or it wouldn't have been as a traumatic of a breakup or just something like that. Like mm-hmm. I would have had more control of it. I totally get that. Yeah, huh. absolutely. You know, you're, you're pointing your finger like she was nailing the. No, it, the thing, the, that comment that you made about like, oh, if I would have blank, then maybe this would have turned out differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, like we, you know, if, five degree or removed from that or whatever look at it and say yeah like that's nuts like that's not the way it works but when you're in it you don't see it that way and Mm -hmm. that's the bond that's the the brain the way the brain thinks that is so hard to break that Mm -hmm. thought process for women because they do feel like this sense of like i did this Mm -hmm. i caused this this is my fault or i could have done this differently i wasn't good enough uh yeah yeah and if I had only, been a better if woman. only I would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I've been a big advocate for for women, women in ministry, equality for women. I mean, that's been a real hallmark of my of my life because I've, I'm surrounded by strong women, and so when I when I get around people that that don't feel similarly, I have a really hard time imagining that. But even that, even as an advocate, even as somebody who who uh, thinks very, very highly of women. And I, I, I'm always surprised at how different the female experiences is than the male. Mm-hmm. Like most, most men in, in my experience, you know, guy friends, uh, parishioners, um, coaching clients, most men do not have the, I, I'm not enough feeling. And, mm-hmm. and so for so many women, for so many high capacity, strong, educated, capable women, they still feel like I'm, I'm not enough. Um, I don't know if I know, Well, maybe you're lucky enough to not have met like men that don't feel like they're, they're good enough. But even like, uh, my father and the conversations that we have where I feel like my trauma and where I don't feel like I'm good enough has come from, uh, has been like, I put, I, maybe it's not fair to put it all on my dad, but I put it like all on my sure. dad where he was adopted. His mom was like really young, but he was adopted like kind of like within the family, like the best friend of a sure somebody that was yeah in like the situation the best friend of his grandmother who happened to be married to like some type of third cousin. So with that being said, he's in the same family, but then also in the same small town. So he knows exactly who his bi- biological parents are. He huh. sees them with other siblings, or you know, make a family with someone else and. Even him being like spoiled out of the wazoo by his adopted mother still wasn't get didn't give him feelings of being enough. Sure. And so he um as attractive or whatever he he could have been on the outside, he still doesn't have these feelings of being enough. Mm-hmm. And it came off on me. So like I remember there was a conversation about how like I don't have a recognition of being told often that I was attractive by my father, that I'm like, I was a pretty girl Mm. or I was a this or I was a that. So the first time a guy started telling me that I was pretty, it was a wrap. I was Mm -hmm. cracked right open. Like I was like turned (laughs) out, you know what I mean? And me having this conversation with him, he was like, would it be quite honest? I didn't hear it. 
enough either. And so I think that men go through inadequacies also. It just manifests itself different Mm. because women are um, objectified differently. Mm. And so whereas uh, if I don't feel pretty enough or inadequate enough, then I subject myself. I get on stage. I am now good enough because I'm stripping and it can be quantified in dollars. Hmm. Uh, as opposed to, you know, women are cheap. We're not paying men to strip for us. Not like that. You're getting five dollars. You're not getting dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it might be quantified. It might be quantified like yeah. differently. And then I think that because my father's like experience of inadequacy when he met my mother and not being able to treat my mother well as she deserved to be treated well, sure. and me subsequently not being treated well either. Mm based off the feelings that he had like towards my mother. Yeah. I think that's like that's my way of saying like I know yeah men go through and they and the trauma and the trauma like reverberates through the generations in that way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now you that's how you you first got started in all this was um was you started going with a group of gals from church to right. to local strip clubs, building relationships with the dancers, mm-hmm. and and just trying to bless them, right? Right. And what was what was what was that whole journey like? Yeah. So you want the whole story? Sure. Sure. Yeah, so I, this is what I'm doing today. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> this is what yeah. I have time for this. So for me, I was working at Student Development at Spring Arbor and taking student leaders to Las Vegas. Which is over, a Christian university. Christian down, university. Down here yep. in Michigan. Yep. Taking student leaders to Las Vegas over spring break to do missions work. And we worked with a bunch of different organizations while we were out there. One of which was an organization that worked with women who were, um, caught in the life working in the life and so that was my exposure to it a gal that i met out in vegas said to me one time after about three or four years of these trips you don't have to come to las vegas to do this ministry because you have it in your backyard and my response to that was no i live in jackson michigan (laughs) like we don't have that here and so uh fast forward like three years later still going out to las vegas every single year and she would say to me every single year what are you doing for this in Mm. your home and I was like oh yeah I'm working on that like we're gonna do something (laughs) but I don't know what it is so then I started sharing with my small group friends and uh, some of my real good girlfriends that I really have this heart to do something but I don't know what it would be and so it took me about three years to get up the courage to come to Dave and say Dave I want to do something and Dave said the most brilliant thing to me he's like why do you have to have it all figured out just get messy just go, yeah. figure it out as you go, adjust if it doesn't work and keep going. So that was in October. And then in December, that very same year, I still hadn't done anything because I'm a chicken. And uh, <laughs> we were sitting in church at West Winds and uh, Dave is preaching and it's the Sunday before Christmas. And he says, tells a story about being at that sci-fi convention in Chicago oh, with a buddy of yours. That's right. And oh, your man, friend said to you, you went into the, like the expo center or something. And yeah. your friend said to you, we are the only light in a very dark place. Yeah. And it was like when you said that, it was like God grabbing me and saying, what are you doing? Because you have the light and you are sitting in a pew, sitting in a chair, doing nothing. So that Sunday on our way home... I had my husband call Potter's, and uh, which is a strip club <laughs> here in Jackson. You your husband. Hey, yeah. honey, I need you to I call said, hey, I need club. you to call yeah. Potter's. <laughs> and he called and he said, hey, my wife wants to bring in gifts on Christmas Eve to your dancers. Can she do that? And they said, sure, why not? And like, yeah. you know, they didn't care. They, they were like wide open for us to come. Yeah. So I grabbed my friends and we put together gift bags. And that Christmas Eve, we went into the club and handed out gifts and we just told the women we're just here we're just here to love on you let you know that we see you we value you we're here for you there was no agenda whatsoever except for to meet them where they were and uh that kind of launched we call it hearts for jackson and then we would go in every major holiday and at least once a month just go in and take in gifts and just love on the women so that's that was like my first exposure to I love, that. I love that you women. just went. You, you weren't trying to fix them. You weren't trying to save no. them. You're just yeah. trying to bless them. Just trying mm-hmm. to love them. And and it's, it seemed it seemed from to hear you tell. It seemed so easy. You called. Yeah. You got. You asked the manager or whoever, and they yeah. said yes. Um, yeah. What's funny about all that is probably in I don't know the last six months to a year before you went in in Jackson to the local strip club to bring gifts. I'd had 
uh, probably a handful of men from Westwinds, uh, not not regular people in our church, but people who would attend from time to time and then call me up and say, hey, I, I think I have a heart for strippers. I want to start a stripper ministry. And I would be like, no, absolutely yeah. not. You're so full of shit. Like, you yeah. do not do that. No. You, yeah. you just want to go look at strippers and, yeah. like, you know, put a Bible verse on it or send me a pervert, you know? <laughs> and so, so I was so, I, it was so nice from, from my vantage point as a pastor to sit there and go, oh, yeah, right. That's how the ministry is supposed to look. There's no shadow to it. It's just, it's just like, love there's no control there's no manipulation there's no um weaseliness it's just just love and blessing right. and um yeah i love that I, one of my favorite memories of those times when we would go into the clubs is this one night we were at it wasn't potter's it was a different club and we're sitting in there sitting at the bar with a stripper and it, she was waiting for her turn to dance and we're just sitting there with her and she says you know i have a two-year-old is it like time to do like potty training like i don't know how to do that and so we're like sitting at the bar talking about parenting you know and it's like that is isn't that exactly what jesus would do like let me meet you where you're at and give you what you need yeah right and it's like i never in a million years would picture myself doing that but it's like hey if if we can talk about parenting right here then let's talk about parenting you know like it's just one of those things it's like this is this is why we do what we do yeah right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Did you start to say something? No, I'm just like processing all of this because like, um, so I danced in Atlanta from 20 to 25, mm-hmm. which is not like a big deal. Dancing in Atlanta is like working at Walmart. it's a strip club on every corner and i came up in the era of like twerking music and stuff like that so like from high school and all the music videos it's like basically just women in bikinis dancing talking about tip drill you know it's just all kind of things so um if i were to mention that i dance and it's like but in atlanta oh okay we get it because that's what you go to atlanta to do you go to the strip club doesn't close 3 a.m. Then there's an after party and everything like that. So I'm just like processing the things like listening to you, Dave, saying how like the miraculous move of Jesus and listening to you saying, well, it takes about seven times where Jesus is truly miraculous because it didn't take me seven times to get out of the lifestyle. It just took me a praying mom and it probably took her seven months praying. (laughs) But once like she prayed me out. So so I was dancing for a while. I like I danced for five years. My brother moved down to Atlanta and he knew I was dancing because he would come hang out at the club or something like that or he'd see my clothes and he told my father Mm. but my father never told me that he knew I kind of had an idea but he never mentioned it didn't do anything about it later on my stepmother said we were just happy you're making your own money (laughs) mom finds out from a vision from the lord Mm. calls me immediately like crying about it and I'm like I don't know what to tell you to make you feel better about this this is what I do Yeah. (laughs) yeah make your peace but um that was like September of 09, the day before my birthday at the, uh, by 20. So despite December, 2010, I'm like in her house. Mm. Huh. So she got, uh, her praying hands got me all the way out of it. And then, you know, I've never looked back. Have I thought about it? Heck yeah. Cause I'd be broke sometimes. And it'd be like, Lord, I made way more money. Come on now. Yeah. yeah right. You're going to have to help me out. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm serving yeah. you. But so I'm thinking about how it didn't take me seven times. It, it is a miraculous move of God mm-hmm. that I was just boop out of it in and out and now i've been out of it longer than i was ever in it yeah Mm, that's good um so you know god is faithful in that so that's why i'm just listening to you guys talk back and forth and process it there was a time when i was dancing and some ladies they brought in like a dollar and a business card and it was like honey you're gonna have to at least give me enough to pay my rent this month to a get dollar my, and what was a dollar like a, like a dollar a, in a uh in a scripture like they like put it a dollar in, in a scripture like in my garter i guess that was their ministry <laughs> to give you a dollar and a, and a, but i'm saying uh, uh, yeah that's uh, you're gonna have to give me a, like can you pay my rent then you can yeah. get my attention right now i can't yeah, do right. nothing with this dollar but if you want to drop a smooth like 750 right now you have <laughs> my attention if yeah. you could pay me enough to not have to work tonight let's talk about it yeah oh, so man. and i'm just processing like all of this <laughs> yeah. like this entire conversation how it is a truly like blessed of the lord that like i'm so far removed from it that no one would ever know yeah. no one will ever guess sure. or 
And like, I just totally don't look like what I've been through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and I appreciate that you speak about yeah. it openly. I mean, I, I love that. I love that. You don't hide it or um, feel any shame about it. You're able to talk openly about what God's done in your life, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Like, God is faithful. You know, his gifts and callings are without repentance. So when I talk about, like, being a performance artist, sometimes when I'm down on myself, like, oh, okay, well, I'm working at a homeless shelter. I'm making, you know, I'm, I'm making my living. I'm doing good work. But this isn't what I feel like called to do. Am I ever really going to walk in the gift in what I feel I'm supposed to do? And the Lord will bring back to my memory. You were good at stripping. Like, I mean, like as as a performance art, like I was really good at music and performing, dancing and this and the other. And I was like fantastic. Like I was good at that. I was good at doing what I'm supposed to do when I wasn't even doing it for the Lord. I was doing it in darkness Mm. how much more when now that i have my heart towards the lord will he allow me to really work out those giftings and calling so he'll bring back that to my mind like when you weren't even trying Mm. to follow me what i placed in you still made you a star Mm. um so i think about those things like god is faithful yeah that's good yeah there's a i think a really um, a, a really strong power in understanding um, God's movement to rewrite our stories and rewrite our narratives and to redeem us to change our ending. Uh, you mentioned yeah. the the weird the weird experience I had in Chicago uh, because we're talking about missiological innovation and different things to do. We we had a group of people um, that were were doing a live storytelling project and um, it was called the Revelation of June Paul and it was like a, I, it, I, it was a novel that I'd written and I thought I, this whole dispensationalist end times stuff associated with uh, you've been left behind really concerns me as a theologian and as a pastor I see a lot of bad fruit from it I don't think it's biblically substantiated so I thought well what what would be a, an alternative uh, you know a fictional alternative to all the left behind nonsense so I wrote one and I thought, well, what am I going to do with it? Because not everybody reads, and I'm not a, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not a, I, I'm not as, as famous as as these, be, you know, best selling people. And so, what am I going to do with this story? I thought, well, what if I get up and tell it? So then I started going to local comic cons and comic conventions and sort of nerd fan clubs and performing it. And, it, and it went really well. People were really appreciative. I took film crews with me, and we did we did lots of fun stuff. And it was it was super cool. I had a great spiritual conversations. We raised a lot of money, and, and the money we we used actually went to combat human trafficking we were working with a friend of mine tom davis and we gave all our money you know thousands of dollars to his organization which was it was, it was all great but we went to this comic-con in chicago um and i performed on stage uh in front of oh, gosh probably three four hundred people which was really cool it was really fun for me and then afterwards um we we were just walking around the con which i'd never been to one before this set of experiences and there's all these girls and you know totally uh, skimpy outfits you know dressed up as anime characters or, mm. or whatever um and so as a guy you're like this is fantastic good night this is like absolute heaven like i can't i can't look anywhere right now because there's just like th- this is every fantasy come true you know so you're you're really trying to walk around with blinders on and you're sort of aware of your own sin and your own lust and your own problems well as the night wore on um till you know midnight 1 a.m., 2 a.m., I'm with the camera crews and the guys from the church, and we're, we're being good. You know, we're minding our own business. But you start realizing, like, a lot of these girls are really young. Mm. Like, like 14. Like, mm. once you sort of get past the costumes, you know, then, then you're like, wait a minute, that's a, that's a kid. Mm. So then, then you're, like, disturbed. Now, now for me, I'm not, I'm not fighting lust. Now I'm, like, I'm sick to my mm-hmm. stomach. And then as the, uh, once you get past midnight, you, you, you're like, wait a minute, not only are these guys so young, there's, like, nobody protecting them. There's no security. There's no adults. And then all these creepers start coming out of the woodwork. Uh, men with cameras, overweight old men with cameras. And they're literally... Um, pulling young kids to 12, 13, I mean, little like 80 pound girls um, into dark alleys to take seductive pictures of them with no like no uh, release forms, no agent, no representation, mm-hmm. no legal coverage, no. And it was like a, a molester's paradise. Mm-hmm. And so the camera guys and I. We just started, like, every time we saw a photographer, we just, like, sat there and watched the photographer. We'd just sit there with our cell phones and take his picture um, until he would, like, let the kids go or whatever. We'd ask him, hey, are you okay? Do you need any help? And the kids are always like, no, this is cool. I totally want this. And you're like, well, okay. Like, at, at this point, like, 
I, I don't have the authority to call your parents or, you know, get mm. the hotel involved. But it was so, it was so uh, revelatory for me as a male to realize what those sexual impulses if left unchecked, devolve into. Mm. As you realize, mm-hmm. like, the way guys are wired and certainly the permissions guys give themselves, like, that's the that's the deterioration um, if left unchecked and unredeemed. And it was really a, a horrible experience. So, mm. yeah, when I was talking about being the only light in the darkness, I, I just remember I was with Sid and Mike um, and the three of us just going, like, this is so creepy Mm. um and and you just felt like that was such a target rich environment for those those guys and no no protection for those kids Mm. uh, which is really scary yeah Yeah. um and and it does uh, lead me into one of the other things i wanted to talk about i just i just think it's it's worth um just just asking ourselves and and by extension asking the church at large like what what we think women are worth um because because well-meaning christian men let, let's imagine a totally pollyanna scenario you know they grow up in a good church family they go to youth group they grow up through purity culture for whatever that's worth you know where they the big emphasis is don't have sex before you're married um but they're they're surrounded by images that objectify and sexualize women they're surrounded by stories um, mm. that do that and, and men are sexualized um, to a tremendous degree now maybe not equal but but certainly getting close to that I mean there's just the, the sexual energy in our culture is, um, is eros run amok mm. um, and then and then these good Christian boys marry good Christian girls and there's no sexual maturity there's no um, theology of dignity there's no understanding of personhood um, and I mean, I've been in Christian ministry for almost 30 years and I can tell you again and again and again and again and again, even though almost nobody would acknowledge it, even though almost no one would cop to it, the great majority of men look to their wives as someone who's supposed to please them. Mm. Full stop. And we as women feel like we, that's our obligation also. Mm. Yeah. I'm supposed to please my husband. If I don't, he has every right to leave and cheat or whatever so right. hmm. well you just, uh, so i'm a dad of course you know my, my daughter i think about my beautiful daughter anna you know she's 14 and as a dad all i all i want like ten thousand percent, all i want is i want my daughter to flourish i want her to have interests and hobbies i want her to be uh, mentally stimulated so that she's always learning that she's excited she's engaged i want her to get caught up into the flow state where she's absorbed in her tasks and she's uh, flourishing and developing as a person so, so that she becomes the best possible version of herself for for god's glory with god's help and that's what i want for my daughter i go well time out is that what i want for my wife mm. Mm. and yeah <laughs> it is but but I don't think I was capable of understanding that when we started dating at 19. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just think this really like, well, for me as a guy, I've never, I've never had the thing in the back of my mind that said, you got to please your wife. Like that's why you're alive. I love her. So I want to please her. I mean, I want to be a faithful and loving husband, but, but I, I think for, for so many women that, that they're, they're, umbrella psyche is you better look after this man and maybe that's just because the men have been putting it on them but but certainly women are worth more than that mm-hmm. you've got bigger aspirations than that bigger dreams than that yeah i i wonder if it's that if it's the do i want that for my wife like that real you know her to like shine in her on her own yeah if if it's that desire or if it's the what we talked about at the very beginning like that rejection runs deep or that inner feeling of i'm not enough and so you know like if i if i allow her to be all that she can be does that diminish who i am oh yeah and yeah, so it's that be very threatened you know that. like yeah. yeah it's that little ebb and rub and flow there ebb and flow of i want you to flourish but don't I, I want to flourish too. You know, like I got, I want you I to have, have a career a, as long as you don't make more money than me and yeah. you're still around to do dishes and, and laundry. Right. So the, like with your daughter, you know, like how do you raise her up in such a way that she has a self image that's strong enough that says, Hey, I'm enough. 
on my own. Yeah. Like, I don't need you to be complete. Like, I'm enough. And, like, we all know, as people of faith, like, that only comes when we yeah. know who we are in Jesus because he's the one who makes us right. enough. And without that, we're constantly trying to be enough. And so yeah, right. I need you to complete me. And so. if you're listening, you're enough. Don't let anybody just kick right. him in the nuts. Kick him in the nuts and run if he tells you different. Yeah. And also, does she see it? Like, uh, from the outside looking in, we all see Carmel, and we know that she's, like, this amazing warrior Carmel's woman. Wife, like, for those of you who don't know. She's amazing. She's fantastic. Like, just from the outside <laughs> looking in. So I can only imagine, like, her being her daughter. And, like, does she see it in her mom as her being the superwoman that she is and seeing that, oh, my mom goes after this. My mom goes after this. My mom goes after this. Because me seeing it in my own mom is the thing that keeps me motivated like I'm very encouraged by the fact that I could have been born out of any woman depending on how my dad was <laughs> <laughs> my dad was playing uh, yeah. you understand what I'm saying yeah. that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> but the Lord saw fit that I had uh, my mom's an immigrant she came over from Panama she tells me there was a time when my father told her just like go back your English isn't good enough or this this and this and she like made it like so far without even then having a degree and then went back to school went to college the same year I started and I didn't finish but she went straight through four years mm. then made like more money like my mom constantly has reinvented herself and just glowed up glowed up glowed up glowed up yeah, even yeah. so like to this point it's still like so it's important that you see it and so um i think it's great that you're also like you're pouring into anna also but she can visually sure she's got a model she's got a role yeah whereas if i only had to see it on my father's side i wouldn't see it yeah right i wouldn't Mm -hmm. see it Mm -hmm. at all i yeah, one thing for somebody to talk about it. Another thing for you to to have healthy role models. And well, that's that's been a big thing for me in um, in representation at at the church where I pastor. Is that you know once upon a time you, there weren't allowed to be women pastors or women on the platform leading at the church where I work. And and uh, and that was the first like in my job interview, I told them this has to change. Like mm-hmm. this is the first fight I'm picking. It took us four years, four years of weekly debates about the scripture. Um, for for myself and a few others arguing for the full inclusion of women in ministry, but then once you once the barriers are gone, you still got to get women up on stage. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and you still you still got to get women up there preaching. You got to get women up there prophesying. You get women up there teaching. You have to get women up there leading music. You just have to you have to get women up there so that our young girls sit there and go like there's no there's no failure of imagination. Mm. You know they see it. Um, yeah. And and both of you have done that at West Ones. Both of you have been up. You're, you're you've been you've been part of my plan. You've been, <laughs> as you, as you've been part, part of, of God's plan yeah. and yeah, part of your own flourishing. Yeah. yeah. So um, when we lived here in Jackson, we love West Winds. Like we still, I mean, we've been gone for five years. But if people say, "What's your home church?" We say West Winds. Like oh, this is cool. this is our home. Yeah. We we love it. And so it, we struggled in Vegas finding a church that is even remotely like West Winds. But we've landed at a church that one of their philosophies is yeah. that when people come in they should see someone just like them on the stage yeah. and yeah, so right. like they're very intentional about that same thing and so you're absolutely right like we can say like oh yeah women have a place in ministry but yeah. if we don't put them into ministry positions no one sees that right and then like the words don't mean anything yeah. so i love that you said you know like for anna she not only hears it she's got this strong role model yeah. in front of her in carmel and like that's beautiful because that role model's invaluable yeah. Well, and that's yeah. why it's so cool for people who are who are either still dancing or who are transitioning out of uh, something perhaps predatory to, to see people like yourself, Moni, is because they go, mm-hmm. okay, here's somebody who's out, been out for a long time. And, mm-hmm. of course, a very big difference between, between being trafficked and, and being a dancer, but still arguably part of the same spectrum or same right. continuum. Yeah, it's know. just a matter of am I allowing another person to exploit myself or am I exploiting myself, which I know at that time in my life, like you, you, we cannot put, we're not so far removed from the other person because it probably took, it could have taken like one good conversation sure. with one person before I would have had like my right. own pimp and I would have been here for it. Cause it was like, Oh, you're going to manage everything yeah. for me. Great. Right. All I got to do is wake up and come to work. Fantastic. You're going to do all the work for me. And it would have been, it would have been nothing. And I, it would have satiated my need to feel valued to have mm-hmm. someone else in my life because even though we talk about these relationships like how could you go back to it and it's like because nobody else was there 
Mm-hmm. Nobody else was there when I was going, when you're going through that period of time. And that's the good thing. About, like when you get isolated from your family mm-hmm. or, you know, it's a really important to not like push your kids away or when your kids are trying to flee that you go after them. Yeah, Like you, them. like you go after them. Like my mom pursued me. Yeah. Whereas, and it's so interesting that I know the difference. Like I have a contrast between my mother and my father. Yeah. Mm. Until really in in the older I get, like I'm 35 now. And so knowing I'm 35 and knowing how old my father was at the time is just like the comparison in like common sense or um, heart, you know, just like how could you not like run after your daughter mm-hmm. where my mom, she did like sure. run after me. So that's that's like the the difference. But I know I used to be at my little office job. Uh, running around the building when the office was closed, like when nobody else would be in the, like I'd run from the front to the back because nobody knew. Because there would be times where I'm like, man, I'm tired of dancing, but I don't know how to transition out of this. Yeah, sure. I don't know how to get a day job. I don't know, like, what do I even put on a resume? I don't know how to get right. hired. Right. And then just God just setting everything up to where it just kind of like fell in my mm. lap and everything like that. It was like only God, mm. only God could eat could like have me out of this but I know for sure that I could have just as easily just as easily had a pimp I danced with girls that did have pimps Mm -hmm. and would mark them with tattoos and stuff like that and I I remember I had a a manager we worked for one time and they rescued they called themselves rescuing her but she ended up going back and whatnot because you couldn't be a prostitute in the club but now that I'm thinking about it our security and our uh, managers were pimps. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We see that a lot. Yeah, you Which know, like, it, what were the were the guys who work in the clubs like moonlight or daylight or whatever? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, or just if you're on shift and they whisper in your ear, "Hey, go t- like go talk to that guy mm-hmm. or this this and this," and maybe they'll turn their head in the VIP room or something like mm-hmm. that. I remember I was I was roofied one time and left uh, face down in my own vomit. And like woke up in the hospital and there was like no traces. So they just called it alcohol, uh, alcohol poisoning. But the um, our our um, stage mom, our house mom, that's what it used to be called. So the woman that pretty much like kind of manages the girls and stuff, she took my money. Mm-hmm. She stole all my money and left me face down in my own vomit. Like went through your purse or whatever. Like my like I'm face down in my own vomit in my dancing outfit. So probably like a bikini, like a thong yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Where the money like is on my garter on my thigh, and I wake up in the hospital with like nothing. Mm-hmm. And like whatever clothes, I go back to the club and the stuff is in my locker. My money's not there. No one kept it. So she left me to die in like in my vomit, like face down in my vomit. I got drowned in my own vomit. They said it took four grown men to carry like my lifeless body to the ambulance. Mm. And so, you know, just the industry in and of itself, if it makes money, it doesn't matter. And we could, oh, yes, we should say, oh, poor women. I'm not saying that we shouldn't say, oh, poor women, but not remove ourselves to how we might be getting uh, pimped and exploited in our own industries. Because mm. it's kind of like the same thing, how like we as Americans are overworked and underpaid and we're just supposed to more, work more hours and we're just supposed to do overtime and we're supposed to do more and more and more to pay for these things. We're still exploited. And if we were to take that into account, then maybe it would have us to have more empathy on how we can really help people mm-hmm. and remove them out of their situation because we would understand what it would take for us to be removed out of our situation. Sure. We have a, a sense of what of what health is like. And this a lot of times people will ask the question about about theology. You know, is, is, is theology a waste of time? Is it just an academic pursuit? You know, I mean, what, shouldn't we just pray? Why do we have to study? And um, it's exactly that. I go, you know, the um, deep study of Scripture gives us an understanding of what life is supposed to be like. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be like shalom. We're supposed to have peace and wholeness. There's supposed to be rest. And we're supposed to find joy in our work, not hardship. We're not supposed to be exploited. We're not supposed to prostitute ourselves, either for Christian ministry or for dancing in a club. I mean, we're supposed to have a sense of wholeness, a sense of family identity, but still some differentiation. I mean, it's great that I belong to a great family, but I better be great as Dave 
all alone. That's the same for men and for women. We better be connected and tethered to God in a meaningful way, both with our community and independent of our community, because mm-hmm. sometimes the community goes screwy too. So, I mean, when you when you talk about us getting free of some of the really bad habits we have, I go, it's the it's the Bible. It's the story of the Bible. It's the story of Christian theology that helps us understand not only that things are screwed up and when they need to be different, but but what kind of different they should be, hmm. um, and and gives us a vision of of what health and wellness looks like um, as as God's people and God's children. So, mm-hmm. so it's like the same idea of where oh, we really want to liberate uh, women from uh, sex trafficking and this and other, but we have no concern about how teenagers or um, just low income families are being exploited by like fast food restaurants how we really expect these people to put in hours and be essential workers for like no money mm. for like no this there's no livable wage for this and we have the audacity to throw french fries in their face or talk to them any kind of way because we see them as unskilled workers and they're being exploited by that industry mm. I, I remember you saying something about that uh, earlier on instagram being being fired up about about mcdonald's drive-thru employees being essential workers um, which is was a, a thing I really hadn't considered. Um, t- tell me, because uh, I don't know, I, I confess total ignorance about this, but it's my understanding that, that the United States government just opened up the first anti-human trafficking task force. Is that is that correct? We have like state level task force or county level, but yeah, the president is really going after trafficking. So they're doing like a national task force. Which, is, which okay, so a lot of people don't like Donald Trump and perhaps for good reason, but that seems like a massive step forward. Yeah, I, w- I think so. Yeah. Like, like a I huge... mean, even, even if, like, I'm not sure like how the nitty gritty of all that's going to work out, but even the fact that just the awareness is being raised yeah. even one more time, one more level right. of awareness, and that's, that's huge. Yeah. 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 So I want to go back to something that Simone said that I think is so good. You had said like you ran, you know, through your office building and mm-hmm. you like, I, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know what to do. And that I love that because that's really like with what I do at Refuge, that that's where we came in is because like you can't just say, oh, you should stop doing that. Like, I mean, they don't. You know, like if right. we're not going to give people tools and the the resources to be able to change right. their what, life, are starve now. What yeah, we, what yeah. are they going to yeah, do? Right? I, was, I establish a very decent life, right? Dancing. And so, so I love that because, like, that's that's exactly our philosophy too. Is like it's not rescue so important, getting the word out is so important, but you've also got to have the system in place to help women be able to, because I'm sure like when you were running back and forth, if somebody would have said, here's a path, you could walk down this path and you can, you can get out and you can do these things. And we're going to help you do that. Like you might've said, sweet, I'll go do it. Right. Because Mm -hmm. you had the, that's a whole lot better than stop. Right. Do this instead. It would be better. That's not helpful. Simone, you said, um, you wish your dad had pursued you. Mm. So that there's a, there's a takeaway dads. If your daughter, or son goes off the rails, keep chasing him. Mm-hmm. Um, you also said that, um, that you didn't hear from your dad that you were beautiful, which I think is a, is a good thing for dads just to, to speak positive, not only positively to their daughters or about their daughters and, and their kids, about their physical features, but also their, their deep interior worth. So mm-hmm. there, there's some takeaways there. Um, and I also think it may be important for us all to acknowledge that our identity is going to be rooted in Jesus and in the scriptures, you know, like even in the men as well as women, you know, I mean, the other day, a good friend of mine, he's a pastor in town was texting me and she was saying, you know, just how's things going? I'm like, man, I, I feel like garbage. You know, every time I focus on the good work I get to do, I feel fantastic. If I focus on myself, I feel like trash. What I meant was when I focus on my circumstances, you know, then, then I go, this can be really discouraging during COVID. There's a lot of extra pressures mm-hmm. and it's really a tough road to hoe. Uh, she misunderstood me and thought I was talking about my own self-esteem. So mm-hmm. she says, what, what has compromised your beloved son identity? Which I just thought, what a, what a healthy response to mm-hmm. her. Like yeah. she's going, look, if you feel crap about yourself, the problem is not you. The problem is what you're thinking about you. Mm-hmm. Because in God's eyes, you are always a beloved son. You're always a beloved daughter. So, I mean, there's, and I thought, oh, what a great reminder. That's mm-hmm. not actually the reminder I needed at the moment. But I think maybe that's a kind of a reminder we always need. Yeah. Um, but what else, what else should families be thinking about in order to protect their children? 
Because mm-hmm. um, for me, I'm certainly not letting my daughter go out after midnight to uh, a Comic Con in Chicago anytime soon. <laughs> right. Right. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but even I was locked down and kept in the house either. Also, so it wasn't like he, no one was letting me do that. But time I got an inch, I got an inch. Let so you really might not sorry. let me out out of midnight, but if you let me out at noon, I'm doing after midnight things. Mm. So yeah, it's, um, I think that it's good to have like as you said, you're giving her like healthy outlets and things like that. So when I was here in Michigan, so I moved with my dad at 14. There was a lot of contention between my mother and my stepfather when I was 14. But I was a part of a theater group and I was doing theater and I really loved theater. Then my mom like forced me to join the choir at church and that was very upsetting for me because I cannot sing. So it was like, why, <laughs> why are you doing this to me? And at the time we weren't like, we were not we were not following i want to say we weren't following jesus we were christian in name because we went to church Mm. but we didn't live it at home like i wasn't taught how to pray i wasn't taught to depend on the lord and jesus for everything like christianity was more of a punishment like go read the scripture you know like those type of things read your bible so no like you know so like she didn't even have a legitimate reason to have me missing rehearsal in my you know theater group to be at this choir like yeah no yeah. it wasn't it wasn't worth it um we weren't active worshipers at home either so um when i moved to georgia though I, there was no investment in me there was nothing for me to do and then finally like junior year of uh of co- oh lord jeez high school <laughs> Junior of high school, I joined the soccer team because that's the only thing that I could afford because I paid for everything. So, like, I worked on the weekends and everything like that. And so I didn't have the $500 to join drill team where I could dance, but I had the $100 to join the soccer team. (laughs) And they didn't even come to a game. I would have to find, like, my own way back at home from, like, practice and everything like that. I think my parents came to, like, one game out of the two years that I played. And so it's just not only giving people the outlet that they need to explore things that they may be good at, but then to support them in that also and really give them praise in that and make them feel like the things that they do are worth it and worth um, investing in. And so you just have to invest in your, in your kids. They're your, they're your little use, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, well, I I think a lot of people, it's, it's not so much that they don't want to. I don't, a lot of people maybe just don't even understand that they need to or have to, or it's something they should do. I mean, nobody teaches you how to be a parent until you're in it and you're screwing it up or you feel like you're screwing it up. And then all of a sudden everybody tells you you're doing it wrong, or maybe you start soliciting advice. But, um, the truth is, um, you know, there's all, all of us have this responsibility to raise our children better than how we were raised. Right. Even if you were raised well. I mean, I had great parents, but no parents are perfect. So, so I stand on the foundation that my mom and dad gave me in hopes that Jake and Anna will stand on the fun foundation that Carmel and I have given them and that my grandkids are way less screwed up than I am. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's also um, like you can't be afraid to have the conversations that you need to have. And like as a parent, you've got to know that your kids know way more about this than you do. So have them be your teacher yeah. and enter into that conversation. Because, I mean, they they are living this every day. They're walking it out at school. Sure. They're seeing everything, and we think, like, oh, they're protected from that. Well, no, they're not, because they're alive. So, like, right. you have to be having the conversations. And, and those things are happening at a pace that, that even the best and well-intentioned, most in- deliberate parents cannot keep up with. Right, right. I mean, you know. Uh, so so how, do, how do kids get started? And prostitution. Like, what's the, how do they get hooked? Right. What are the things to really watch out for? So we see a lot of, like, images on social media or whatever of, like, women in bondage or women in chains. But that's not, I mean, that does happen. Like, I don't want to say that that does not happen. What do you mean? What What kind of images? Like, like really dramatic? Well, yeah, you see, like, human trafficking images and it's, like, a woman behind bars or, like, in handcuffs or or whatever. Or, like, a shipping container or something. Okay, And that does happen. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But most women, most kids who get involved they're like trafficked by a family member 
So it's like a, a relationship that is known. So, I mean, they can get sucked in in so many ways. So, so, so traffic isn't like, like sold traffic. Mm-hmm. Is it like, like, mm-hmm. yeah, by a family member. I mean, it, and it might be even as simple and I don't want to say simple. It might be at like an, a cousin says, you know, to a younger cousin, like, oh, you're going to have sex with my friend and he's going to give me some money. I'll give you some money. Like it might be simple like that. But I mean, most kids who are put into trafficking are through a family member or a family association. Like that's the draw. So how do we stop it? Like we have to be having conversations with our kids. We have to be educating them. Like look out for this. Yeah. Like stay away from creepy uncle. So and so. Right. I mean, that's super important. No, my mom was big on that. Do not sit on his lap. Right. I mean, (laughs) you know, but like paying attention to those things because it is, it is just a dark world that we live in and we have to pay attention. Yeah. So how does I don't know that I was entirely prepared emotionally for that to be the first thing you said. Yeah. uh, So then thinking about like, how does it happen? Like we talked about, like when you grow up not hearing that you're valued, not hearing that you're loved, not being shown that love. I mean, you start to look for that anywhere you can get it. Mm -hmm. And so you become very, very vulnerable to the creepy uncle who pays attention to you or Mm -hmm. to the cousin who says, hey, my friend is is attracted to you. That's attractive when you feel unattractive. Mm -hmm. And so like it just they just prey on that vulnerability and so as a parent, like, how do we fill that void with the truth as, as opposed to allowing right. a stranger to fill that void? I'm going to fill that void as your parent, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's gross. Mm-hmm. That's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got, we got lots of work to do. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Uh, one of my friends told me a story that just happened to her cousin. She got trafficked through Instagram. Like the guy got, uh, you know, kind of talked her into some pictures and sending the pictures mm-hmm. and whatnot, and then held the pictures hostage against her, and then said, "I knew, I know your location. Mm-hmm. If you don't do this, I'm going to, I'm going to come like kill you and your brother, or I'm going to come kill you, or something like that." And so she was like, "No, like I have my brother's here." So he exploited her by having her exploit her brother and videotape it. Oh and wow! Yeah, so mm-hmm. the now the little girl can't even be around her own sibling because of the threat against her life. If you don't do this, yeah. we're gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of threat in mm-hmm. prostitution. A so lot. If, if you're being threatened like that, if, if someone's b- b- blackmailing you, is that the right? What's the what's the what's the right way to get out from under that? Die. Just go ahead and die. No, I'm joking. No, not, I'm sorry. That was a dark, really bad. Yeah. We were already in a dark place. You know? Yeah. No, I, you know, sometimes you, I don't know. That's how my mind goes. Like, heaven isn't a bad thing. I can die. Like, there's no fear in death. There's We teach as Christians, like, don't yeah. fear death. Yeah, yeah. God has, oh, like, Jesus overcome the grave. Don't fear death. I know you probably can't teach your children that, like, but don't you, fear you're death. You're fear your brother's death. You're, but, you're not uh-huh. afraid to yeah. die. I'm going to be afraid if somebody threatens my, well, actually, if you're stupid enough to threaten either Jeff or Dwayne, then God help you because you're screwed. But yeah. mm-hmm. um, So, I mean, but part of that is, like, like, let's just use Anna as an example, even though this isn't mm-hmm. happening to Anna. But, like, somebody comes to her and makes that threat. If she doesn't feel like she can go to her dad, uh, yeah. you know, like, it if, if she... If she has this foundation with you that says, no, my dad's got my back, you know, like yeah. somebody could make yeah. that threat at her mm-hmm. all day long and she's not going to bite, you know, because <laughs> no, my dad's my dad. got my back. I got your back. Baby. Right. I so, I mean, like that's that's the thing. But when the that relationship with the parent is not there like that and mm. the threat comes in, I mean, they they buy it. They mm. believe it. You know? so, so but but are the threats always empty? I mean, some of those no. threats have to be real, right? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say they're empty. So what do you do if you think the threat is real and somebody goes, you know, hey, if you don't do whatever I want, I'm going to come and hurt your, your mom or your daughter or I'm going to come and hurt somebody you care about. What 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 is the way? I mean, do they go to the cops? Do they go to... I mean, how do you, how do you get out from under that threat? Yeah, I, the, I think the only way you get out from under that threat is you have to tell somebody. Like, you you have to call the call the bluff of the threat and the threat might be real but then we have to trust that our system is going to step up and do the right thing so i mean and is the system trustworthy 
sometimes <laughs> not I always i mean like the women that we work with don't trust the system yeah. at all because they've been burned by the system so i mean so if you're if you're so so then is it a lesser of two evils like i go if, if somebody's got um if somebody's got dirt on me well i'll use myself as an example because then that doesn't make anybody feel too uncomfortable but let's say all right dave i want you to do um uh, I want you to do bad things or else I'm going to burn down the chapter house and I'm going to wait till it's full of people. And, uh, you know, so that, I'd be, oh, that is awful, more scary. Right. Mm-hmm. So then I go, well, shoot, uh, I'm going to go, well, I'm going to go to the cops, but the cops aren't going to be able to find this person. There's no evidence. This person made the threat. As soon as I go to the cop, they're going to know I'm going to go to the cops. So they're going to say, Dave, if you go to the cops, I'm going to, I'm going to elevate the timeline or escalate the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still better off to go to the cops. Right. I go to the cops and say, hey, man, this is the guy's phone number. This is how he contacted me. This is what he's doing. And they'll go, well, all right, well, we'll look into it. So they're not, they're not really going to do much, but still I've called their bluff and maybe I've created distance. I mean, is that better? Well, what's You don't know? I mean, I I think it's better, but I don't really know. But, I mean, I I feel like you have to do something. Yeah. So that's something. Better to take action than not. Than not to, yeah, to sit on it or to yeah. cave and do what they're asking you to do. Because yeah. that's never going to end. Like that's right. just, as soon as you, know, you as soon as you give in once, right? That's, that's never the rest ending. Of your life. Yeah. yeah, and I'm and the threat against family is very real in the trafficking world. Like that's right. what holds most people is a threat against family. I have a gal huh. that I'm actually talking about tomorrow in the yeah. message who yeah. her trafficker from three years ago just made a threat against her family three years later, and that that's kind of rare that right. that much later it happens. But I mean, it's just a reminder. Like, no, this is a really evil world. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. walking this is in, dark. Yeah. and yeah, and, and it so, pushes you to dark place. Because first thing I thought about was like, well, it looks like I got to take you out. Huh? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now <laughs> I'm thinking of. A I guess solution. if I cut like, off your hands, you can't hurt my family. Like yeah. now I'm in jail. Great. Yeah. yeah. But at least you can't hurt anybody. This all right. Like, so, but it just that just it all just like reemphasizes how important as a parent that was how that mm-hmm. you know started like what do you do for your kids like that line of communication has to be open like it has to be open so well, okay so now so we talked a little bit about you know dads parents chase after your kids if they go south parents affirm your kids their their physical and mental emotional spiritual worth and, and feel like they can talk the to you about anything mm-hmm. like but, now as an adult i can talk to my mom about anything but i remember being so scared of my mom of getting in trouble because any little thing like i remember when i'd be out in public and strangers be like oh you're so pretty i bet you have a lot of boyfriends you better not have a boyfriend it's like i feel like i'm in <laughs> right. trouble and i didn't even do anything right and now i would never talk to my mom about anything and it isolated me from her sent me with my dad where it was so it's like make sure you you feel like can we talk about anything like really make yeah. it so like yeah. So your kids can come to you. I mean, it even kind of highlights how important like people are in the church, right? Because you may not be a parent, but there's a lot of kids in your church. And maybe those kids don't have that kind of relationship with their parent, but maybe they can have it with you. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you're that person that can have that conversation. And if you're, if you're listening and you don't feel like you have anybody to go to, then you you should find somebody. You should should Mm -hmm. start developing those healthy relationships insofar as you're capable of doing that especially within the church, because um, better to have something than nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, what about, um, okay, so we talked a little bit about family stuff, a little bit about personal responsibility, but well, there's a lot of Christians who are concerned about the issue of human trafficking. And over the last 10 years, I don't want to say it's become the pet cause or the cause celebrate, but there's certainly a, a lot of new awareness about human trafficking and, and sort of all the widespread tendrils of it. Um, what can people do to yeah. make a difference? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of organizations out there that are frontline that are working in this field. And so, I mean, you can volunteer with them. That's something you can do. You can financially support them. Most of the organizations are faith-based organizations, so their funding is very limited. So um, it's not like they have free access to all the money that's out there. They're relying on the local church. They're relying on individual people to come along and sponsor and donate. And and that's something that you can do. Something that we had to come like really face to face with at Refuge for Women is like in a perfect world, sex trafficking would end and we would end sex trafficking right. but like that's not going to happen right. i mean mm-hmm. you know it's not going to happen not on this side so of the river, our, yeah mm-hmm. so our our goal is like 
our vision is not that we end it, but our vision is that we equip women with the skills that they need so that they can get out, yeah. that they can, they can yeah. be successful independently. So, I mean, get involved with organizations that are doing things like that. Yeah. 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 What, what about, um, um, uh, that's great. I'm not, uh, I'm slightly shifting gears, but only to cover additional topics, not to dismantle that. But, right. um, what about, what about social media? Because as a pastor, I, I just look at, at all the people and all the churches that I help uh, and I go, uh, we're part of the problem. I don't mean the church is part of the problem. I just mean humans and mm-hmm. the way we look at other humans mm-hmm. is, is is at the root of why the world's oldest profession is still flourishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We commodify one another. We exploit one another. Um, we we use we, we we transactionalize sex all the time, not just for money. Mm-hmm. We transactionalize sex for for belonging. We use sex as a transaction for um, for pleasure, for forgetting. It's a coping mechanism. Um, so certainly, there's got to be something uh, uh, that's there's got to be something distinct within the church about our use of social media. Mm. Um, I mean, the old the old nursery rhyme is "Be careful, little eyes, what you see." Um, I mean, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, there's just so much nudity, mm-hmm. uh, even in platforms where nudity is banned. I mean, you really got to church. You got to you got to wake up and clean up what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, what else? What else are the things that you think we, we can do that would make a difference internally? Don't be afraid to have a conversation. I mean, like with me you know, going into the clubs, it took me six years to get the courage to do it. And that was just stupid. You know, like, (laughs) like if, if you feel like the Lord is leading you in this path, like just go, you know? And I love like, like just to, if I would have met Simone, I I would have been your friend, you know, like I just have that heart to, to go and, and love people where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, don't let the the response or the feedback discourage you either. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about like just hard conversations that have I've had in the last like couple of months, and they don't necessarily have to do with sex trafficking, but have to do with just like the racial injustice that's going on, mm-hmm. and how people feel like, oh, now I want to talk to you about this, or now I want to have this conversation with you, and I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation with you. You go fix it. Like you guys start like you're doing white supremacy. Don't talk to me about pray. Go pray with your <laughs> with your racist grandma. Like you go fix it, and even though that's like my very honest response, that doesn't mean that I want you to stop trying to work at it. Yeah. And so, you know, if you came in the club and you uh, attempted to be my friend, the first thing that crossed my mind was, did you pay enough to be my friend? And even if you were like, no, I'm not about to pay you enough to like be your friend or get you out of this lifestyle. But even that very coarse response doesn't mean to like not keep trying or Mm -hmm. not still like be making an effort. So even though if like, okay, I'm going to have this conversation with you, knowing that having this conversation has my own human imperfections aligned with it, has my own biases, my own privilege, like, um, and the person that you're talking to kind of just like hits you with an abrupt, get a clue, like, doesn't mean that you still shouldn't educate yourself or really get there yeah, yeah. because that's what it means where it says oh love people where you where you are but you already still have this preconceived notion of where i am you know what i mean you still mm-hmm. have this idea that well you're the one uh being exploited not me and so still that type of we're two in two different spaces mm-hmm. is still something that could still I don't want that to keep you from having the conversation, but when you when that gets called out in you also, that you still are able to be open enough to learn from it and then like move and grow in that and move past it. Because I think sometimes the response makes us shut down. Yeah, like I don't want to do it at all because I don't want to be reprimanded. I don't want to be called out. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a kind of a condescending help. That, yeah, um, mm-hmm. that I think it's just a, that that's a there's a huge learning curve, you know, for anybody, and and we're gonna we're gonna screw it up sometimes, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. Yeah, um, and we we'll just figure it out as we go along. Yeah, yeah, trust God in the, He'll 
fill in the cracks you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's we're not going to be perfect at it and like you told her like get messy go yeah. ahead and get messy but like don't give up and then you just kind of learn more yeah as you yeah. go yeah and that's true not just for this issue but really for any issue I mean, mm-hmm. you know, nobody I, I mean you know once upon a time uh, youth groups all over the world were running mission trips two to three times a year and then we started realizing that a lot of our mission trips were doing more harm than good mm-hmm. we started referring to toxic charity we started talking about you know the white savior complex mm-hmm. and started talking about the evil of colonialism and 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 parochialism and, and all those things are true but now we have a bunch of people not going on mission trips anymore because they think they're bad like yeah. we, we should just recognize that we're not going to do it right and and be humble and mm-hmm. make tweaks as we continue to go right because jesus told us to go he told us a bunch of other things too but he never stopped telling us to go yeah and we got to go to the clubs we got it for women yeah <laughs> we got to go to those who are hurting go to those who are in need and then be be penitent and humble and know that we're, we're gonna screw it up and that doesn't mean that we don't go anymore it means we go in a different spirit we go with uh, contrition we go to learn um yeah, yeah. That's that's just make me think of when we first started going into the clubs, like we were trying to figure out, like, when do you go? What's the best time? And, you know, our first thought was, oh, well, Friday nights should be really busy. We should go on a Friday night. Right. Mm -hmm. And we quickly learned that's the worst time to go, (laughs) because like if I'm walking in the club and I'm interrupting your business, like you're not going to talk to me because I'm I'm an obstacle now. I'm not a help. So like we we would try to pick like the lost trafficked not traffic trafficking but like peopled you know like they're the least number of customers in the room because we don't want to be we don't want to be interrupting anything we want to you know like we don't want to be in the way kind of thing and so like mm -hmm. i mean it is like you just got to get messy and you got to learn and you got to step out and step back in and keep going well we know the most creepiest stuff happens on day shift well there you go yeah yeah that's when you really uh get paid for the (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we always was the day shift versus the night shift girls and oh, we always man. knew that the day shift girls are a little something strange well uh thanks you guys for for joining us that was a funny note to go out on so yeah right <laughs> that's, that's all right it's not like i never had anything strange happen before but uh well i think i think for me the thing that always comes back more and more and more is is because this world is so broken we need to be ardent, passionate followers of Jesus mm. working together to heal the world because the world needs healing. And mm-hmm. like you said, Robin, this, this issue and so many others are never going to get fixed in our lifetime. They're never going to get fixed on this side of eternity. So so the, it's not the healthy that needed the doctor. It's the sick. And the mm-hmm. world is sick. And, and God's called us to be the doctors of his church and moving forward, doing what we can to heal. So thanks, everybody, for joining us today on the Chapter House podcast. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, you guys. Yeah.